And so let me introduce to you this man who taught me how to preach, for whatever that's worth to you guys. <laughs> Dr. Winford Neely is the uh, vice president and dean of Moody Theological Seminary in Chicago, uh, Illinois. Uh, he's a highly respected theologian, uh, Bible teacher, as well as a, preach, a teacher of preachers. Uh, he's written several books. Uh, he's married to his wonderful wife, Stephanie. Uh, the two of them have four kids, and they have ten grandkids. That's all I'm going to tell you about Dr. Neely. I'll let him share, fill in the gaps. And so, with no further ado, would you please welcome to Grace Church, Dr. Winfred Neely. Well, I am honored to be here with you uh, this morning. Um, uh, Pastor Smith, sir, it is very obvious that your tribe has increased. <laughs> God, God bless y'all. The kids said y'all weren't even in existence when I worked with your father when he was an undergraduate student at Moody Bible Institute so many years ago. By the way, he was a very good student. He, he did, he worked very, very hard. And uh, you, you see there are tests within tests. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But there are tests within tests. And you, you, you're going through life and people are observing you. And then they start making hiring decisions about who they want to get. It's more than giftedness. You gotta have character. Pastor Smith has that. Hard work. He was a hard worker. So we are so very thankful for what God is doing in your life, in the life of your wife, in the life of your family. I'm going to say this to your children. Y'all should go home and fall down on your knees and thank God that these are your parents. You should. We take growing up in a godly family for granted. But anyway, I, I, was, I was told that I'm under time constraints. <laughs> so I need to go ahead and do what I have to do here uh, this morning. So I want to thank um, uh, Pastor Schaefer and Pastor Smith and the entire Grace Church family for extending to me the opportunity to be here today. I have one request of you. I'm going to ask you to pray um, for me and for us as I preach. I would like for you to listen carefully, thoughtfully, attentively, critically indeed, to make sure that what I'm saying is coming from God and his word, but also prayerfully. I have nothing in and of myself to offer you. I'm a servant. I'm delighted to be God's servant, by the way. I'm kind of delighted to do that. But I have no resources of my own. If anything of substance, anything that's going to impact you for good forever, if anyone is going to trust Christ as their personal Lord and Savior during this service, we will need the help grace of the Spirit of God himself. So I'm asking that you would pray with me and for me 
as I preach. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. And I try. I try. And I try. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't get no. So frustrated, they don't even say satisfaction in the last verse. I can't get no. And this song was released by the Rolling Stones, the turbulent year of 1965. What strikes me about the lyrics are the brutal honesty of those who wrote the song in the first place. It captures in lyric and in song the human quest to find satisfaction in something or in someone in this life only to discover at the end of the satisfaction pursuit process that satisfaction is elusive. At best, it's ephemeral. It doesn't last long. And the frustration echoing all the way back to the fall of our first parents and life outside of Eden. I can't get no satisfaction. And yet we try. Often we do it in ways that are unhealthy. Um, violence for perpetrators often is a perverse way of trying to find power and control and satisfaction. Or money. If I can, if I can make money, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that, and if I can make money legitimately, a lot of it, I will find satisfaction. And there isn't anything wrong with financial resources. There isn't any inherent merit in, in poverty. There's nothing wrong with having money in the bank. But you get all of that and you find that the accumulation of wealth does not meet the deepest longings of the human heart. There's something missing. Something is out of kilter. A longing deep, deep within the human heart is still crying out for something because 
satisfaction is elusive. Or it could be in educational pursuits. I'm a, obviously a, a big believer in education. I believe in it. And some of you here have made significant educational achievements, and if you haven't made those uh, educational achievements yet, it's certainly in your vision and mission, and you are ambitious about it. And you achieve one academic goal after another, and then when you meet the mountaintop of academic achievement, at least as it's construed in the Western world, and you take it all in and you survey the distance from which, uh, from which you have traveled. Hills and mountains of academic accolades and you take it all in and you realize it doesn't satisfy. Something is missing. Something is elusive. When I earned my, my, uh, my, uh, one of my degrees at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, I had worked so hard for it, and I wanted it desperately. I got it. I passed my oral defense. The supervisors stood up and bowed their heads and called me doctor. And on, my way ho on the way home, I thought to myself, Oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. It doesn't satisfy. And is it possible that we seek satisfaction in the wrong place? We want our spouses to give us satisfaction. I understand there's such a thing as spousal responsibility, so forth and so on, but that's not what I'm talking about. We look for satisfaction in different places, even as Christians sometimes. Sometimes we, uh, we, 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 we try to find satisfaction in service itself. So, so I, I'm in church all the time. There's nothing wrong with that, just as long as it's not a cloak to mask a vacuum in your own heart. And I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about why we ask the Lord for satisfaction. He's the only person who can do it. He is the only one that can satisfy the human heart. There is no other source of satisfaction. And we ask him and we're going to talk about why we do so. And our passage is Psalm 90, Psalm 90. Our focus will be on Psalm 90, verses 14 and 15, but I will read uh, the psalm to you in its entirety, beginning at verse 1, Psalm 90. Book 4, Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, 
meaning this is probably the oldest psalm in the Psalter that Moses probably penned around the time of his death when he was 120 years old. So this is the prayer of an old man. Lord, you have been, you have been or proven yourself to be a dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God you turn man back into dust and say, return, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep in the morning. They are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for it is soon gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according, according to the fear or the reverence uh, that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Oh, satisfy us in the morning. I find it absolutely wonderful that a man who's near 120 years old is still praying for satisfaction. You are never too old, never too old, or too young for that matter, to seek satisfaction in Jesus. Oh, satisfy us in the morning 
with your with your loving with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil let let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm or make permanent for us the work of our hands. Yes, make permanent the work of our hands. So we ask the Lord to satisfy us so that our lives are characterized by shouts of jubilation. We ask the Lord, we pray that he would fulfill us with his covenant love so that shouts of joy, little flowers of exuberant jubilation dot the landscape of our experience. Now notice the shift in how the Lord is addressed in Psalm 90. It begins with Lord, verse 1, L-O-R-D, capital L, little O, little R, little D. That Lord is the rendering of Adonai, which is a title of God. He's sovereign. He's in control. Even right now. Oh, 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 good night, you realize if it wasn't for the sovereign, ongoing, providential control of the Lord over the entire universe, all of us would descend into nothingness in an instant. The fact that we are all here, breathing, is a gracious expression of the sovereignty of the Lord. But notice the shift in verse 13. Do not return, O Lord. Now notice, Lord here is capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. Have you ever asked yourself why one is capital L, little o, little r, and little d, and there are others that are capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D? What, what, what's the difference? Because Lord in caps in our English versions of the Old Testament is the rendering of the sacred name of God. 
the four consonants of his sacred name, Y-H-W-H, vocalized as Yah. The sacred personal name of God. And don't you find it absolutely amazing that God has a name? Lord, in verse 1, is a title. Lord, in caps, is a personal name. The sacred name of God. It is a summary statement of his love, his care, his redemptive involvement in your life and in my life, Yahweh. By the way, Jesus means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves. So we ask him. So we're talking to our heavenly father, who by his very name indicates to us his love, care, and concern for us. Oh, satisfy us in the morning. I, I wish we don't have time to talk about all of this, but the but satisfaction and the, I did satisfaction coming out of coming out of the coming out of the land. There's a whole history behind this word satisfaction and it's been an important word in the history of Christian thought. Satisfaction. And it's associated with satisfaction is associated with the ideas of quantity. It's associated with uh, the idea of taking in food and being full, it's associated with drinking water and having one's thirst quenched as a result of taking the water in, but that does not capture it. And hopefully, this visual, this prop, which communicates at the same time on a number of levels, will help. So, the idea and satisfaction is this. The glass is being filled up with water. The glass is full now. Satisfaction is not fullness. Satisfaction is the result of being full. The glass is full. And the result and the outcome is satisfaction. Now, we can fill our lives up with a lot of things. But only the Lord can satisfy. So what we're doing, this is what we're doing here. We're taking the glass of our soul. We don't have the capacity to fill ourselves up. And we're asking Yahweh, we're asking the Lord to fill us. And he fills us with his presence, fills us with his power, fills us with his, through the power of the Holy Spirit himself. And as a consequence of fullness, we are satisfied in him. 
Are you satisfied this morning? Um, note this now. So satisfy us in the morning. In the morning at the break of, breaking of day. The, 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 something about the morning. With all of its potential and promise, invitation to, a, invitation to a new day, another invitation from the Lord for, to, to, to human flourishing. Satisfy us, fill us in the morning with your loving kindness. Now, loving kindness is one of the wonderful terms of the Old Testament. It's a rich word. One word, one word in English will not do justice to the Hebrew term. The closest we can come to it in English, and it's a situation more so than, than a word, is the love between a man and a woman in the context and framework of marriage vows. See, the, the vows frame the love. You remember when you got married, for those of you who got married, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, having a hold for better or for worse, sickness, and in health. You take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, for better or for worse, sickness and in health. I do. And th th those vows now will constitute the framework now for how the love is expressed. Oh, you didn't know that your husband was going to have a stroke later on in life. You, you didn't know that uh, your precious wife would come down with pancreatic cancer. You, you didn't know that your husband would have a heart attack. But it's the framework of the vows and the commitment that by the grace of God, I'm going to keep my, I'm going to love, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to do the right thing because I made those commitments. And someone reminded me of a dear friend of mine, I can say this, this is public, whose wife has cystic fibrosis, he married her knowing full well what this would involve. And he married her, committed his life to her. That's hesed. And the Lord God Almighty has committed himself to you. He's pledged himself to you. 
He's more than God Almighty. He is God Almighty in covenant relationship with you. He's committed himself to you. He has pledged his very character. This is what it talks about for his name's sake. Aren't you kind of glad God's committed to you? Uh, can I get an amen? I think it would be appropriate to say amen to that. Oh, oh, oh hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you. I, that, you know, sometimes I feel the joy of God all down in my bones. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, so uh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. So we're asking God to satisfy us with that which is his. And John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. But even that has a purpose. Oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy. And I didn't sing in this particular instance is to shout. Shouts of joy. See that? Notice what the Bible says. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy. How was your satisfaction quotient this morning? How are you doing? When is the last time there was a shout of joy coming from you because you were satisfied in God? And please don't tell me, well, I'm not the kind of person who does that. Well, it's strange when I see all these people at the basketball game. The football game. We jump up and down because somebody makes a three-pointer at the buzzer. And I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus has made a three-pointer. With this death on the cross, glorious resurrection from among the dead. The whole team was trying to block his shot to no avail. Hallelujah. And we shout, Thank you, Jesus. It can be, it can be in the workplace. You can be doing your work. Hospital, business, doing something and just say like, oh, hallelujah. You're not talking to anybody. Oh, thank you, Jesus. People are listening. That actually may encourage somebody. They may talk to you later. Hey, what's going on with all of that? What's happening? And you can tell them, Oh, it's not that I'm all of that. It's not that I'm deeply spiritual and all of that, but I have found satisfaction in God. 
He satisfied me. And out of my satisfaction from him, there is a shout of joy that comes out. Would you like to know him? He can do the same thing for you. Notice what else. That's first thing. We, satisfy, we ask him to satisfy us so that we can, uh, so it, with his love, faithful love, so that we are able to sound for joy, we ask him to satisfy us also so that we can, so that we are glad uh, for uh, the remainder of our days on, on earth. Gladness. Now, gladness is interesting. Gladness in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, is the outward expression of inward joy. The outward expression of inward joy. Uh, gladness. Now, and joy itself is not, joy itself is not, is not, is not happiness. Joy doesn't depend upon um, what happens? There are a great many things uh, today that I am not not happy about. I'm not happy about paying six dollars for a bag of Jay's potato chips. I'm, I'm not I'm not happy about that. I'm, I'm I'm not happy about that. I got some the other day, and my wife of 46 years said, "You you, you went ahead and paid the six dollars." I said, "Yeah, we had, we had to have the potato chips. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of expensive." Are you happy about that? I'm not happy about that. But joy doesn't depend upon uh, the economy. Joy doesn't depend on how much gas costs. Joy depends upon Jesus. Hallelujah. Joy depends upon the Lord. And uh, Gerald Hawthorne in his commentary writes, Joy is more than a mood or an emotion. Joy is an understanding of existence that encompasses both elation and depression that can accept with, note this now, that can accept with created submission events which bring delight or dismay because joy allows one to see beyond any particular event to the sovereign Lord who stands above all events and ultimately has control of them. So you see what joy is. This is not an emotion. This is not a mood. This is the ability to see beyond this life to the throne of God. Yeah, yeah, amen. To see beyond this life to the throne of God. That's joy. That's joy. Right? And as, and this Inward joy expresses itself as gladness. The only thing that will secure lifelong gladness is a heart satisfied with the experience of God's love. Now I'm looking at this clock. It says 36 minutes. So I'm going to have to go ahead and do what I got to do. Amen, but I may get in trouble. I, I want to. I want to. I want to take my time. I want to take my time with it. But I, uh, amen. 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 Okay. Okay. So we want to be glad all of our days. Are you glad today? Are you glad in Jesus? 
I hope you're glad. I hope you're glad with him. You know, when I grew up on the south side of Chicago, I uh, fell in love with Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I love Dunkin' Donuts. If you have a Dunkin' Donut business here today, God bless you. <laughs> but I love Dunkin' Donuts. When I joined the Army, uh, and I was doing my shift in the evening, I would go by Dunkin' Donuts. After I got married, <laughs> I'm a young man in my 20s. After the church service, guess where I took Mrs. Neely? <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. I love Dunkin' Donuts. Some years later, a dear friend of mine was, well, we were in a car, a dear friend of mine, we were in a car together. We were going somewhere. And he says to me, Pastor Neely, Neely, I need you to pull in here. We're going in this place. I said, okay. On the front was a large sign that said, Crispy Creams. <laughs> Krispy Kremes. Now, I had issues with Krispy Kremes. One, I love Dunkin' Donuts. Two, uh, there wasn't anything that I thought could outdo my Dunkin' Donut experience. Three, I thought that this was just his opinion, and it was a waste of time to even try the Krispy Kreme. So he brought a dozen, and he looked at me and said, Pastor, I would like for you to try this donut, this Krispy Kreme. I took a bite. It's one of the few things on earth that I've tasted where words are hard. Words don't even fit. It was sweet, fluffy, light. It melted in my mouth. I'm thinking, well, this one does a donut melt in my mouth. It, it is sending all kinds of signals to my brain about how, how good this Krispy Kreme is. And, and, you, and you know what happened? After I tasted, after I experienced the Krispy Kreme, <laughs> I stopped eating Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> because, because the Krispy Kreme was better. <laughs> and when I trusted Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. When we tasted the goodness of God, 
At least I know I did. I put down the Dunkin' Donuts of my past life. I put down the Dunkin' Donuts of my sinful living. I put down the Dunkin' Donuts of all the crazy stuff I was doing because the Lord Jesus, and I say this respectfully, Lord, I, I, I mean reference to you that the Lord Jesus, the Krispy Kreme of glory, was so, so much better. Listen, listen, listen. God didn't twist my arm and make me walk with him into some kind of legalistic path. I'm walking with God because I'm thrilled. I'm overwhelmed. And some of you here today have never tasted Jesus. And the only thing you have is your own narrow experience. And you think that your narrow experience, whatever it is, is, is better than Jesus. Well, I got news for you. And I'm going to drop the grammar. No, it ain't. There isn't anything in the universe better than Jesus. And uh, so um, this baby boomer is glad. I'm glad this morning. I'm glad because long before the ruffle of angels' wings disturbed the hush of eternity, God chose us as followers of Christ in Jesus. I'm glad because Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins and all of my sins. I'm glad because Jesus cried out, it is finished. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. I'm, I'm glad because there, there was the earthquake and, and people that were in the tombs came out. I'm glad because early Sunday morning, Jesus rose literally and bodily from among the dead. I'm glad, I tell you, because Jesus ascended into glory, transcended all of the limits of time and space in an instant and took his place at the right hand of God in glory. I tell you, all heaven is glad. When I saw that marked man take his place at, at the right hand of God with God's purpose of salvation and redemption accomplished so that God is able to bring any person who trusts Christ as a personal Lord and Savior to glory without compromising his justice because justice is satisfied. I am glad. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, oh, we could go on and 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 talk about why we're glad this morning. But uh, we, we, must, we must stop. So I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me, your heart. And I'm going to read, I want you to listen prayerfully to the words of A.W. Tozer from his book, The Pursuit of God. 
Oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, oh triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory. I pray that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, speak to me, Lord. Rise up and come away. Then give grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered, wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen.